Welcome to Rooted Light, a show that centers on the path of being human first in the divine play of life on earth. This podcast aims to explore the bridge between mysticism and what it means to be a modern day human who is devoted to full spectrum healing. I am your host, Melanie Custodio. Hi, friends. Before we jump into the episode, I do want to say a few things real quick. October 22nd, it's a Sunday, I'm offering mini past life readings. They're 15 minutes each and $20. This is going to be really fun for me. I've never actually offered this type of thing. I do offer past life readings, but not in this style. And I think they'll be fun because they'll be short and sweet and just a little like cool thing to do around the Halloween season. And the other thing I want to say is this episode is my first interview with my best friend. And it's a longer episode, but don't be discouraged because this is not just a conversation between two best friends. This is a really nuanced, deep, rich discussion with Caitlin Crossley, who has immense wisdom in the holistic mental health field. And we talk a lot about safety, safety in the body, safety when working with others, using your heart as a guide in your life, using intuition to help open up worlds for you. You are genuinely really going to love this conversation and I don't say that lightly. Uh, this, It was such a pleasure to talk to her. You can work with her. I'll have all of that in the show, no- show notes and we will kind of get into that a little bit. But you're really not going to want to miss out on this conversation. She is such a delight and I hope that you enjoy it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Rooted Light podcast. This is a very special episode for me because because it's the most special person to me on the show. And um, I'm so, so excited to introduce her to you and you to her. Um, she is my best, best friend, and her name is Caitlin Crossley. She is an intuitive life coach, and she's trained in trauma it's incident reduction. She's worked in, me- in the holistic mental health field for a decade, and she's currently in graduate school to get her master's in counseling. And this program specializes specifically in humanistic and multicultural counseling. And she has a special interest in somatic-based therapy, which I also do. Um, And she has a personal interest in decolonization work for herself. And she's currently diving into her white-bodied ancestry And she's also navigating a pretty big transition in her life, and maybe we'll speak to that later. She deeply values her community and 
also with the earth. So hi, Caitlin. How are you? Hi. I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here. I'm a little nervous. This feels like a very, very sweet opportunity to be a part of. So this, you are my first interviewee. And I think this is your first podcast episode, I would imagine. It is actually, yeah. So I love that we are walking hand in hand, doing firsts together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I do feel called to give a little bit of context about how Caitlin and I know each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like I want to talk about how the universe wanted us to be friends and we mm-hmm. resisted it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we did. It was clear and we wanted no part. Yeah. Do you want to tell the story? <laughs> sure. Um, so we each moved from our own separate towns that we went to elementary school to the same middle school, small little farm town. Everybody else knew each other. We're two awkward middle schoolers getting on the school bus and sitting alone opposite of each other. Um, We live right down the street from each other, but do not interact. Um, Both of our moms tell us we should be friends, we should hang out at the bus stop together, and we want no part of it. It's embarrassing that they would even ask such a thing. Um, And what I remember most vividly, it felt like a turning point almost, and the universe becoming obvious, we both had these like stretchy, sparkly, purple flower bell bottoms, um, the same pair. And I wanted to wear mine so badly, but I knew you had these bell bottoms. And the last thing that I wanted was for us to wear them on the same day because just how mortifying that would be. Um, so I kept holding off wearing mine. And then I finally surrendered and gave in and I wore these, these comfy, stretchy, purple, sparkly bell bottoms. And you wore them the same exact day. Um, yeah, yeah, and there was just rode, lots. Sorry, we rode on the okay. same bus together. On the front mm-hmm. seat, you on one yep. side and I on the other side. And so, yep. <laughs> and that's how yep. you discovered we were wearing the same pants. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, and we had almost the same sparkly sketchers. They were slightly different in, in color. Um, and there's another moment I remember a bee going back and forth between like your window and going back to my window and we had like how do we like both navigate this bee without actually acknowledging each other's existence was a little tricky yeah we were just like oozing in awkwardness um, until we just in homeroom started giggling our heads off together and never turned away from each other since yeah. I I do think there was one pivotal moment when I missed the bus. Mm-hmm. And my mom drove me to your house because she was like there's another little girl your age who rides the bus with you and I can just drop you off with her and then the bus will pick you both up. And we stood at the end of the driveway on opposite ends and did not mm-hmm. say a word to each other. Yep. Yep. We weren't quite ready to be friends, not until like a couple of years later. Yep. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Yeah. But we've been best friends ever since and yeah. And I would say you're my soul sister. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because like you are you are the first person that I've loved outside of my family, the first person that I trusted. Um, there was a, just a lot of first um, in way of just like a deep comfort and trust that I, I felt for you. And yeah, there's you're like one of the biggest blessings in my life to have your friendship and to be seen by you. Oh, you're you are one of mine. And I want to talk a little bit about that actually well I don't know if this is going to turn into a question or not or if I'm just gonna love on you but Caitlin is probably one of the most heart-centered humans that I know um I had just messaged you earlier this week saying how I have so much respect for how you are able to speak to people, meet new people of various walks of life. And it it doesn't matter where they're at. And you are able to just connect with them on such a level that is just so intimate. So, so you just bring out the best in other people while also maintaining this authenticity that that is yours so it's like for me I don't know if you have this similar history of having to mask yourself in a certain way to connect with the other person because you feel like that's how they would best receive you or maybe hide parts of you because you of threat but from what I've noticed and I know that it's taken a long time probably up to this point you are just you you're able to embody just being you in this really beautiful way and staying very authentic and just able to just like I said bring out the best in anyone that you meet what do you think what kind of work or what do you attribute to this journey of being able to develop this this inner sense of self and also being able to see people really clearly and respect them for their humanity? Mm, well, yeah, I absolutely was not always that way. I think growing up a young um there's like in my childhood and adolescence, I didn't know what authenticity was. I didn't know what authenticity was until my mid twenties. I just hadn't, I had heard the word and I just didn't, I couldn't comprehend it. I didn't understand it because I couldn't feel it. Um, and I, that came from a place of being empathic, just being sensitive to the world around me and how others are feeling and navigating my place in it. Um, I just, I felt like I needed to protect myself a lot and I did not trust my authenticity to be out in the world. And and I think that's part of what was special about our friendship is that you were one of the first places that I felt that with, one of the first places I felt that. Um, but for most of the the world, most of 
middle school, high school, even a lot of college, I just didn't feel safe. I didn't feel like the sacred, precious parts of me would be like seen and held and respected by others. And that did not, for me, that did not come through trauma. Um, I have a little hard time placing why I was impacted that way. But um, there was definitely some judgment from my family and just understanding social expectations that I just could not figure out how to meet um, that gave me that messaging. But I just feel like I just like packed myself up in a safe little box. And I think when I transitioned out of it, it was really just listening deeply to my instincts and my calling to live in different places and different landscapes and different like within the U.S., but different cultures, like towns that have different cultures and way of being um, within the U.S., I just felt so incredibly drawn to that. I needed to move. I needed to live in other places that had certain qualities. And being in those places helped me identify more of who I am, um, who I want to be. Um, and that eventually led me to Hawaii. And I moved to Hawaii when I was 23 years old. And that is the first place that I felt I was seeing people be authentic. Like there was just like this, this island, island style about being on a lot of different islands. But um, Hawaii and the cultural history that's here, it's just so much more laid back um, and so much less pressure to represent yourself intentionally in any way. Um, and that allowed me the safety to continue to be authentic and be received well by others. Um, and I would have loved to say, I would love to say that I found my authenticity on my own and I knew who I was and I was that regardless of what other people thought, but that's not the truth to my story. It really had to do with being well received by others in my authenticity seeing them in their authenticity, um, and it just snowballed for there. The more that I could be authentic and could be received well by others, the more authentic I would be, the more vulnerable parts of myself that I would share, that I would ask harder questions, that I would be a little bit weirder, that I would try out new ideas with different people, that I would share new thoughts. Um, and the more and more I continue to be received well, I mean, it's just life-changing. It's absolutely life-changing. I had struggled with self-esteem my entire life. I struggled with self-esteem until I felt that sense of belonging and that sense of, of authenticity. And that authenticity has allowed me a sense of connection with not only like my friends and my, my circle of people that I love and trust so dearly, but also like you mentioned, like I can meet people briefly and feel an authentic sense of connection without authenticity we have, I don't even know if we could call that connection. It's just such a surface version of that as far as like our sense of fulfillment that we gain from that. Um, so I feel like once I've learned how to be authentic, there's like no turning back as long as we can continue to, to find safe spaces for ourselves. Um, yeah, once you know authenticity, you just can't turn back from it. Yeah, I, I also agree and it's interesting I don't know if you feel this way too they, well first 
I just, I have like a lot of questions based off of just that response. But first I want to inquire, do you ever felt like during, did you ever feel during your journey where maybe you were becoming, peeling off the layers and starting to become more authentic to you? Not that you weren't authentic in a prior version of you, but that that authenticity deepened. And do you feel like authenticity, it's, it's more of a deepening versus uh, you were not authentic and now you were? How, what, do you, what is your perspective on that? Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, we are always doing the very best that we can at any given moment with the knowledge and the resources that we have. I like really truly believe everybody is doing the very best that they can. Um, so I was always trying to be like as kind as I can, as relaxed as I can, as honest as I can. Like I believe that people try that. And sometimes that means self-protection as well. And there's a lot of different ways that self-protection can look. Um, I mean, one thing that I thought of as you were sharing your question is that I remember doing a lot of self-reflection, like as I like didn't connect with a lot of people during my adolescence, I did a lot of self-reflection and I remember discovering like, oh, I'm an introvert. And I, that like helped me understand myself. And the more that I could like claim that, that felt very authentic to me. And the more that I could learn how to respect the fact that I was an introvert, um, the more authentic I felt. And as time has gone on, um, I don't feel like an introvert anymore. I do need to be in my own space and cleanse my energy. And there's certain like introvert-like things that I do. And I love spending time with my own company. And there's a lot of introversion qualities that I still have, but I don't identify with an introvert. Um, but I think that's that's one level of like that that was true and honest for me, and I needed to be an introvert for a variety of reasons that I did and didn't understand. And at a certain point, my resources changed, my internal resources changed, and I could be more myself in more public spaces, and I didn't need to identify with being an introvert anymore. And therefore, letting go of that title was authentic as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it, it's both. It is a deepening. And um, and I, for me, it's been a lot about expression. I mean, expression can be inauthentic. But for me, my lack of authenticity came from a lack of expression. Because I needed to protect myself and my energy. and. Um, yeah, I just felt like I needed to protect it. So I expressed very minimally. Um, yeah, so it's also, I think, can be vast as well. Yeah, I don't, I think authenticity can move in all in any directions. And maybe this is going a little bit too far out there, but like if we are all an eye of the universe, then to be authentic can be to embody absolutely all qualities and any qualities. It's just a matter of what feels true to us and empowering to us and clear to us and probably fulfilling of energy. I think when we're not authentic, 
it is draining to not to be inauthentic. Um, yeah. And just listening yeah. to that. Um <laughs> that kind of reminds me of this idea when you were talking about the eye of the universe and how like to be authentic, you know, if if the universe consists of all things, then we a- anything could be authentic for us. And then it's just like, okay, well, <laughs> what does that mean? Because there's got to be like a a uh an endpoint. There's got to be a, you know, a point where what is and what isn't for you. Um and that really made me think of the idea of congruence and incongruence and in your frequency. Um, and at one point, you know, identifying with whatever the energy of was being an introvert, whatever that meant for you was highly congruent. And you were able to find safety in that, I guess, label of being an introvert. And then once you were able to sort of find safety in other ways, that no longer became resonant that you that fell out of frequency for you and it just kind of zipped away from your aura like that that was no longer an identifier for you and now it's it's kind of become shifted into something else and that reminds me a lot of yes there are certain aspects of people where that is them and that is what they embody but also we can't hold too tightly to the things that we identify with because just like the universe where we expand and we shift and we um, are, are fluid. Um, so that kind of reminds me of that. Um, one of the topics I think that we're dancing a little bit around as we kind of talk about, you know, you mentioned a lot about fear and about feeling like you didn't feel safe um, to express yourself or to to be you or to explore what being you was in earlier stages in your life until maybe you went off and became an adult and moved to various places what what is that is a huge word some people's some people are very familiar with the idea of safety and some people maybe think they know what that means and then also there could be varying interpretations of it too but for you like what does safety mean in this context of you becoming more embodied and being more of you I think a more embodied understanding of Safety is I definitely have built a, a relationship with my nervous system that I can I can like feel my nervous system in a similar way. I remember it felt like a huge milestone for me be, to be able to intentionally breathe was really challenging at first. It was like overwhelming to to feel my own breath and to choose to slow it down or deepen it or to feel my heartbeat was initially overwhelming. Um, but now that's like pretty common practice that I can tap into my breath and feel my heartbeat and similarly a relationship with my nervous system and I think I grew up feeling just consistently anxious um, and that's like a, a nervous system experience of just of just feeling uncomfortable and 
I have come to be in tune with when I feel comfortable and when I don't. And there's there's a difference between I can be safe and sad, I can be safe and heartbroken, I can be safe and disappointed, um, I can be safe and let down, like I can be safe in uncomfortable emotions. Um, and I can also be like laughing and feeling unsafe. It's like more of a matter of the stability of my nervous system and tapping into that. And I think like we are vast creatures. We have access to so many emotions and experiences and expressions. And part of a track that I look for, a mile marker that I look for in safety environments is that there's no overt judgment that's happening, that I'm not witnessing other people judging other people and I'm not witnessing other people judging me. Um, is a huge marker of safety. Um, and just like physical that like if I express needs um, as simple as like I need to get a drink of water or I'm feeling tired now or I'm hungry or I'm feeling overwhelmed that my environment, the people that I'm with are responsive to that. They hear that um, and respect that as valid. And that I can do the same for others, I, um, I think is huge. Um, and that can happen in really subtle ways, too. Like, it, on one level, it sounds like very, like, therapeutic and fine-tuned, but also it can just be, like, a very simple way of, of hearing each other and validating each other. Just not throwing in judgment and just trusting people's process. Um, I think there's a lot there that contributes to safety, but that's what comes to mind first. Mm. Yeah, I think you made a really good point about the goal is to feel safe in any context. I obviously that that isn't always what happens because life is always going to throw curveballs at us, but to maintain a sense of center and to maintain safety even when things become hard, even when we are sad or or we're disappointed or we're scared. And that can be hard to cognitively understand. How does one feel safe while facing difficult emotions and experiences? And so my question is, what does that feel like or what does that look like for you and then I would, I, some of the, one analogy I like to use is what is that feeling that you have? It could be, I think the most accessible feeling would be if you had a pet and you were bonding with that pet and that feeling of safety with that, of even when you're sad. Um, you can kind of develop that sense of connection with a pet or maybe with a child or whatever that may look like for you um, while still holding space for, you know, the more difficult stuff. But for you, what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, it's something that I'm still working on and still practicing. And when we have unpleasant, uncomfortable emotions, there is some type of a belief in the body that something is not right. Like if I'm feeling um, disappointed, like I have not made a mark 
or there, there's a belief that's there. If I'm feeling rejected or unwanted, there's a belief there that I won't have the type of belonging that I crave, the type of connection that I crave, which can, which can feel like a threat. It can feel like unsafety. Um, so yeah, so just like firstly wanting to recognize that like there is a degree to which unpleasant emotions are tied to, to thoughts that we are not safe, that something needs to change for our survival. And like historically, to not feel a sense of belonging, to not have belonging, there was threat involved in that. So there's an evolutionary level of that discomfort that's at play. Otherwise, if it didn't matter if we had connection, then it, that would be an uncomfortable feeling. Um, so I think with that, there's a lot of layers of, I mean, I think my writing helped a lot. I did a lot of writing through my adolescence and 20s and that's still like a safe space for me to just like let out my hard, messy, uncomfortable emotions um, and just kind of let them flush through me. And I just continuously, the more that I allow uncomfortable emotions to come up, whether that means like anger or irritation or sadness and tears, the more that I let those come up and I naturally am met with a follow-up of feeling a sense of relief, of feeling a sense of clarity, of feeling some degree of rejuvenated energy. Um, those are really re rewarding experiences to have. So every single time a heart emotion comes up and I choose, instead of avoiding it, I choose to feel it, then I am often, more often than not, I'm met with a degree of clarity, I'm met with a degree of lightness. Um, so I think there's just like a, a biological level of reinforcement that's happened over time. Um, and I know like if I get teary at my job, for example, that's not a, an appropriate space. That's like not necessarily a safe space. There will be risk. I could get in trouble and lose my status at my job and things like that. It's not an appropriate space. But in my car, that's an appropriate space. Um, so feeling that. Um, which can get a lot trickier when we're in relationship to people and hard emotions come up as well. But I like really subscribe to the belief that all emotional expression is trial and error practice just for us to be as thoughtful as we can and as self-honoring as we can. And it's constant trial and error. Even the people that seem to have it figured out the most are still still figuring it out each step of the way. I love that. And I think it's probably pretty easy for myself and for you to probably talk about, you know, all the things that we've accomplished as far as like all the self work that we've done to be able to become more authentic or to be able to feel more safety. And I'm curious, how do you know when you are not disconnected you're you are disconnected from yourself and in what ways do you maybe numb yourself from difficult things and how do you navigate around you know because we're human and we're going to fall into habits that we have used to help cope because those are our strategies that are available to us and 
how do you deal with maybe some shame that comes up of like, oh no, I'm doing this again? Or or what are some of the things that if you don't mind sharing? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So sure. For me, it's um denying myself food or overeating. Um it's uh just aimlessly the the absolute doom scrolling is a, definitely a tactic I have. And the spiraling in my head, I make make up these uh, scenarios that hypothetical scenarios of people in my life, like as if it were going to happen and how I would address that. And it's like going to hypervigilance, like problem solving mode when it's not even necessary. So those are some of my things, but what, what are things that you find yourself doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, when I'm in, in times of active avoidance, um, yeah, similar to what you shared, lots of scrolling. It's just so accessible. And so especially with like funny little wheels to just feel good instead. Um, I can fluctuate in times in my life of overeating, like comfort eating, um, and times that food activates emotion. So I'm more avoidant of food. Um, Netflix, for sure, tell, just line up, fill up my brain with another dialogue and story about somebody else's life so I don't need to think about or feel my own um those are definitely go-tos sometimes just keeping myself really busy too will happen that I'll just like load up my schedule and load up my plans and always want to be busy and occupied and around people so that I don't need to feel my feelings um I think are definitely some of my main go-tos um for numbing and I think that there's like I've had periods of time in my life where I felt so much shame and judgment about those things. And also times where it's just like, well, my nervous system is overwhelmed. It is overstimulated. And maybe there is incongruence in my life that I can't face. I like, I know what my values are and I know what my current life experience is. And there's nothing that I can change about it right now. And that truth has been so overwhelming for me that I leaned a lot more into avoidance and numbing. Um, So I also want to like, as we numb, also offer some like humanity and compassion to it, that there's, there's times that are, we're always doing the best that we can. And if we're overwhelmed, we're overwhelmed. And if we need to self-soothe, we need to self-soothe. But the shame is, has still been there nonetheless. And I mean, I'm grateful, um, silly sentence here, but I'm grateful for my relationship with shame and how, I mean, similarly to what I spoke about earlier, I mean, shame is like almost one of the worst feelings. Like shame is, I am bad. Like to my core, I am bad, like what shame says. Um, So that's kind of like one of the worst feelings. And to constantly have waves of shame come up and to face them, um, and move through them is just so potent. And actually, this is a, a quote that changed my life. It was a therapist that I was working, I was witnessing this therapist work. And she said to a group of teenagers, shame is like mold. It grows in cold, dark places. Shame grows in cold, dark places. And when we bring shame into the light, at least it's going to stop growing. So to if we feel shame about something, the best thing that we can do is find a safe space 
someone who's not going to judge us or laugh at us or shame us, but a safe space where we can share our shame. I'm ashamed of like this horrible haircut that I got, or I'm ashamed that I said something really hurtful to my partner, or I'm ashamed that I like this habit that I said that I was done with. Um, To bring that into a safe space, at the very least, stops it from growing, but usually eliminates a lot of it as well. And the the more that we do that, the more we are reinforced with the just natural consequence experience of, it's okay, you're human, you're dynamic. Like we, we are humble beings. We are powerful, we are divine, and we are messy little human creatures clunking around, making mistakes, and um, we're both. So yeah, I think I, I try to, usually always there's a level of active avoidance happening and then being like, okay, I'm avoiding, like let's feel some feelings. Okay, there's a lot of shame and judgment here. That sucks. Let's try to avoid that for a little bit and do some things that feel good. And then like a level of, well, let's talk about it and acknowledge it. And at this point in my life, I like know who my safe people are where I can just be like, hey, this is where I'm at. I've been watching hella Netflix recently and lying in bed and not doing any of my healthy things. Ha 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 ha. This is where I'm at. And that degree of just like putting my shame out there lightens my load enough that it makes it more accessible for me to transition out of it when I'm ready to transition out of it. Beautiful. I love that quote about the mold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's yeah. a really great meta- metaphor. Um, let's see, where do I want to go now? The safety piece again, and I feel like we could talk the crap out of safety. Um, okay, I think before I ask that, I do want to add a caveat to what you said, and I think you were sort of dancing around this, and one of the things that I do want to add to that is when we are in those those shame spirals, or maybe we're having to actively avoid through Netflix or whatever on Instagram or anything sometimes in readings I do tell people like sometimes that's where you're at and sometimes the only thing you can show up to is a marathon binge watching on Netflix with a pint of Ben and Jerry's and there's a difference I think between recognizing where you're at and choosing like, this is all I can do right now. This is my safety versus Mm -hmm. noticing that that becomes your go-to safety strategy every time. (laughs) Um, I I think you're nodding your head. I I feel like you agree with that as well. Yeah, I mean, we're we're always doing the best that we can. And I think to like, if we're feeling shame or discomfort, whatever it is that's leading us to, to numb, it's so easy to shame ourselves about it. And that, that doesn't help. That doesn't help. We need comfort. We, we are creatures of comfort. We, we require comfort and ease. And we will find that wherever we can. And one way that we can find it is by not shaming ourselves additionally um, mm-hmm. on top of our like 
conditioned sense of shaming. Like there's a conditioned sense of shaming of like, if I just like lay in bed for a full day watching Netflix and eating Pine and Jerry's, like I should be ashamed. That's conditioned. But if on top of it, we can offer just ease and comfort and compassion for ourselves, it's just like, this is where I'm at. And it's like not great, but like the least I can do is offer myself some comfort. Then yeah, it just lightens the weight and we can change when we're ready to when we're ready to but if our needs are not being met they will keep finding a way to be met Mm -hmm. yeah Mm. I'd I'm also I'm thinking like over the last couple of years of me going through various phases you could call it healing you could call it my nervous system decided like f you we can't do this anymore you could call it a dark night of the soul but there were many months where I didn't really talk to many people. I found myself not like sleeping a ton, um, not at, just having a lot of like, maybe not the best healthiest habits, but also I found myself like that darkness, that place of like, ooh, like something's clearly not right. And I don't know exactly what's wrong, but like being consistently presented, granted, I also like, I I wasn't in a clinical state of depression. There weren't like actual issues going on with me that I really needed, you know, the external support. I was able to kind of work through that myself, but being faced with that darkness is really what created like me to be able to cultivate like my own inner light and my own inner guidance and my own like in intuitive sort of um yeah beacon uh so yeah I, I I don't really know what that was I just felt like I wanted to share that and maybe that will kind of help steer us into the next phase of our conversation which is what I wanted to talk about around intuition before I want to do that I have one more question because this is something that has come up for me recently and and it was (laughs) it 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 repeated last night in the class that we're taking together we're taking a class Mm -hmm. together and that is that how important it is to be witnessed and validated in safe community spaces Mm -hmm. and yes for a long time and my last episode was a is about how you know I was always searching for community or for a place and for belonging and saying like ultimately like that needed to start with me but yeah that also you know it's important to have like people witness you in 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 you in that too so I didn't um I don't want, I'm not contradicting myself here by saying that, but I'm just thinking like I, during this time and where I've, I was searching and searching for belonging and community. What I didn't realize was I wanted safe community space. And I, it is now presenting itself very easily to me. And at one point it did not, like, I literally have not I've been living in the same place for like five years and I felt like I was searching and searching and I couldn't find it and now it's opening up for me everywhere but what would you suggest for someone who's like I don't 
no, like, where do I go for safety and community? And also, for me, like, making that first step of even stepping into a to be witnessed by somebody else is is terrifying for someone who is not used to that. So I don't know if you can speak to that or if you have any suggestions on where to begin for people who are feeling pretty alone in their own healing journey. Yeah, absolutely. Just reiterating how important and essential it is to be witnessed with love and compassion and understanding to to be seen. Truly, um, we, we are, yeah, really, really, really so, so important. And we can be surrounded by people and not be seen. And we can be exposed to very few people and be seen. Um, yeah, I mean, something that has worked so well for me is finding online community or finding like group spaces in person. I think like this is something that like church and like religious groups um, a way in which they really benefit people in their lives. I think this is a way in which sports really benefit people in their lives to be a part of sports teams and to be like seen through their ups and downs. Um, and those communities can have toxic elements and can have healthy elements. But I think that's why those two communities are so strong because they do offer that in a reliable way. Um, but neither of those were, were, were it for me. Um, yeah, I mean, I really just, I think really leaning into what, what do I feel called to do? What hobbies am I interested in? What um, things do I know about myself that I want to explore more and finding groups for those? And that is um, to be seen in one of our passions or skills or interests by others that are also learning it is to be one more aspect, one more dynamic part of ourselves is to be seen. Um, I like want to highlight like that is it's so hard there's like a, a systematic pattern here that makes it harder than it it needs to be and it can feel really personal for people to feel lonely and for people to struggle with community can feel really personal at times and it's not there's a lot about our, the culture of the U.S. as a whole that just values individualism so much values accomplishments and accomplishments are not directly associated with relationships relationships usually get in the way of accomplishments is the narrative around that um like work comes first friends and family come second is um is, is a model that that is really valued um so just recognizing the ways in which we can be swimming against the current on that but I think listening to our intuition and just leaning in to those spaces until we feel a sense of ease. And every time we prepare to be seen, that we go into a space where we might be seen, there's going to be a layer of hesitation, of protection, of shame, of doubt that's going to come up because we've been reinforced, we haven't been exposed to that. The longer that we're not seen, the more, the easier it is to build certain beliefs about ourselves um, that will come to the surface as we like walk into a space where we might be seen as well. So just recognizing that discomfort 
that tends to lead a lot of people to avoiding being seen. And I guess something else that I'll throw in there um, is like therapy was a really potent space for me to be seen. And um, I'm very biasedly pro-therapy. I'm like preparing to become a therapist. Um, but far years, a decade before I knew I wanted to become a therapist, going to therapy was like one of my first safe places where I felt seen. And not every therapist was great. Like there's definitely therapists that I've been like, they should not be saying that. That is not supportive. That is not helpful. Um, but a lot of therapists at the very least can offer reflections and safe space for you to share more deeply. And that's something that can feel less public um, and more direct and more carved out for you as well. Um, yeah. And you can literally just like blab about work or whatever is hard and um, and be seen and validated in that. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so much there, but that feels like an appropriate amount to share at the get-go, at least. Yeah. And I guess, I'll, oh yeah, go I'll, I'll share one, one more piece too, as well as like, in the U.S., our our culture and our history is so unique to a lot of other countries. Um, and I'm not going to go into that wormhole right now, but there are so many countries and cultures around the world where community, um, there's a really different relationship with community and a really different relationship with sense of belonging. And as I've only ever lived in the U.S., I can't accurately measure how those are nourishing um, or might have some things that we would consider toxic qualities. but. Um, just noting that like we are in a unique culture in the U.S. and there are so many cultures and and native and indigenous like ways of being and relating that belonging is just absolutely incorporated into all healing practices. So like that that knowledge is there. It's available. It's accessible. Um, and we have it. We all have it within our own genes and our own lineage as well. Mm. Yeah. I I feel just to add a little bit to that. I feel like for me also you mentioned how, you know, there were certain spaces while they were community spaces, they maybe just weren't it for you. And um I definitely feel that and I also would say it's absolutely okay for you to, for people in general, to try out different things. And that can be mm -hmm. like also really intimidating. It's like, mm -hmm. well, you know, like for me, it's like, well, I've always liked exercise. So like that has, was, and had been my community for a long time. And there was a part of me that still, I mean, I was sort of avoiding it. And I, but there was a part of me that felt like this wasn't enough or it wasn't quite it. And I think it's also recognizing trying out maybe things that you're comfortable with at first and then realizing and, and tapping into yourself, is this it or is am I needing more? Or am I needing something different? And being able to be willing to kind of meet yourself at that little bit of an edge of like, oh, well, you know, going to this, for example, I don't know, ecstatic dance, like that seems a little bit out of my comfort zone. 
but also like I think I could do it I think that's something I have the capacity to try out I think that's where the magic is is when we are kind of flirting a little bit with our fear while Mm -hmm. also like following maybe what intrigues us I think that's kind of also where the magic happens Mm -hmm. So I want to talk a little bit about intuition and Mm -hmm. intuition has played a really big part of both of our lives and it has Mm -hmm. looked a little different for the both of us. Yeah. I will say I kind of actively resisted my intuition for a long time, even though maybe it it was a little bit more available to me at first than it was for you. And for you, I think you always wanted to lean into intuition. I, 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 you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you were more apt to listen to your intuition than me for many years. And so in what ways do you, do you feel like intuition has granted you xyz and in which ways did you struggle with intuition and felt maybe led astray and yeah so what's your relationship with intuition Mm -hmm. um to be a little dramatic I would start by saying intuition saved my life Mm -hmm. um I yeah I think like going back to like adolescence And I mean, that just complicated time in life for so many reasons. I felt a strong sense of doom, as a lot of other adolescents do, Um, just seeing the world and expectations that were laid out before me really felt a sense of doom. And I think where I found the most reliable place that I found relief from that is every time I listened to my intuition, and it took years, decades, maybe even before I understood that was intuition. but the more that I just like felt called to like, I remember when I just like spontaneously was just like, I want to take an art class. Like it's my senior year. I just feel like taking an art class. I don't know why. doesn't make sense. I feel like doing it. And I felt so much relief there. It activated a new part of myself is the first memory that I'm having like really come to mind for that. And I would say every single time I've had a strong intuition jolt or clarity it feels scary and every single time like decades in to valuing my intuition and actively trying to honor it it still feels scary on a pretty regular basis when my intuition is like you need to communicate really clearly with this person about this or like you need to change your life in this specific way um But I just felt almost, I want to say, like, I've never felt more of reward in my connectivity to myself, my my connectivity to life force, energy, to motivation, to creativity. Like, there is, like, this, like, blanket of, like, stagnicity that I can feel when I hear my intuition and don't listen to it. It just grows over time. And things just slowly become darker and darker and darker for inexplainable reasons. Um, And when I listen to my intuition, things just become brighter and brighter and brighter. 
in unexplainable ways. Um, it is the difference between feeling proud of who I am and not feeling proud of who I am. It is the difference between being happy to be alive and like trudging through life. Um, it is a difference. Yeah. But it's, it's just a huge contrast for me and intuition. There's like, there's little moments. Like, do I want to eat a salad or do I want to eat like a hot, a hot soup dish? Um, and then there's like really big intuition. Like, where do I feel like I need to live and what job do I feel like I need to have? And, um, do I feel like I need to be connected to this person or not connected to this person? But again, just like the natural consequences of time. And again, does life get harder and heavier and darker or does it get brighter and more connected and of higher quality and experience? Um, and I'm down to lean into life being hard. I'm down to lean into being, and sometimes that's what my intuition says too. It's like, you need to stay. You need to stay put and be patient and wait this out. And I don't want to. I want to live a, like a more pleasant life. But sometimes that's what my intuition says, is you just got to like chill out and stay put and ride this out. And it's always a navigation of like, am I being practical? Is this me following my heart or is this my intuition? I don't always know. It's not always super clear. The more that I practice, the more that I do feel more clarity. The more that I listen behaviorally to my intuition, when I have like an intuition jolt and I listen to it, the clearer I am about what is my intuition and the clearer I am about hearing it. And every time I don't listen to my intuition and I'm just like, shush, like not the right timing. I have to live this life. Just like don't, can't, stop don't um yeah i i just i feel i feel the consequences of that and my intuition becomes more muddled and harder to access um yeah there's so much there and like a big part of my work in my personal life and also like the work that i love to do with people as well as just have conversations with friends and people in my life is like always creating space to acknowledge the intuition. And I'm not saying that intuition needs to totally rule the reins. Like we need to make practical decisions in our life. We need to have integrity in our relationships. Um, but it, it sure as hell should have a proper space on the stage of making the decisions in our life. There's a lot there. <laughs> so many additional questions. Um, yeah, I feel similarly. I feel like only recently, though, has that come online for me. When right around the time of my Saturn return, all these, all these big transitions happened for me. And when I, although, well, I guess you know that I have always had an inclination to sort of working with tarot cards and things like that. But when it came to my own life, I did not really apply any of that for a very long time until within the last few years, where now it's like intuition, you, listening to my intuition is non-negotiable. It's almost mm -hmm. like if I don't, it's this feeling of, I'm swimming 
against the current. Like life feels like it's actively saying, it's like, it almost like the universe is like, you know, it wants you to flow in the path of least resistance. And if you feel like you are like actively, like time and time again, like really continuing to struggle, but it's not just overcoming an obstacle it's like really feeling like your world's kind of closing in on you and you're just struggling and you're feeling maybe these coping strategies start coming in and you're numbing yourself and you're you're going you're going down the path of darkness to me and I think that's what you were speaking to of that's a huge sign of you you're not you're not quite listening to where your your own guidance and it's time to now tap back in and to connect with yourself. And I think, and this is going to be my question now, which is intuition. A lot of people think it's um, a voice in your head that repeats and repeats and repeats, or it's a vision or it's, um, you know, the psychic tells it to you, or it's, it's lined up in the cards or, and it's more subtle than that. It's more nuanced than that. It's barely even a whisper for me. It's, it's more of like a, I think, I feel like this is something I should do question mark. And then Mm -hmm. like, I go about life and that feeling maybe grows a little bit more. And then somebody says something and it's, oh yeah, I was thinking about that. And then it was, it's like this amplifying effect, but what is for, and also your body um, connecting with your body. So I want to talk a little bit about what your relationship is with intuition. What does that feel like, look like for you? And how does that tie into the body and being embodied, which is all of the things that we've been talking about up to this point. So yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like intuition comes through in a variety of different ways for me. Sometimes it is just like a sentence that plops into my head and I just just feel that that sentence is true. Even if it doesn't make any sense, I just feel like it's true. Sometimes it is just like a gut feeling. Sometimes it is um of a vision that I like similarly I'm just like I, that doesn't make any sense but I feel like it's true um and sometimes it's patterns that build up over time um something that really helps me understand my intuition is I'm very much so a verbal processor and um I'm grateful for all of the friendships and spaces in my life where I can share things and also do a lot of writing for that reason and that's where I notice when I'm sharing more, like almost just like flow of consciousness writing, when I'm just like sharing from my heart and my gut rather than trying to be all logical and rational, I notice patterns. I'll notice myself say, like, I am moving to this place or like, I am ready to leave my job. And that those words will come out of my mouth and then I'll be like, oh, <laughs> okay. I didn't think I was that clear about that. but. I'm pretty clear about that. And I'm not saying that to please the other person. I'm not saying that to get any type of reaction. Like that's me processing. And that was authentic for me to share that. And 
um, yeah, I feel like a lot of my big in- intuitions has been, has come from having visions, um, just like daydreams. I love daydreaming. I'm like very supportive of daydreaming. It can be an escape, absolutely. Um, but feeling the energy of daydreams has been so helpful for me understanding my intuition to allow myself to daydream and just see what comes up and what happens. Um, and it doesn't mean that exact vision is going to happen, but there might be like key important pieces there that really guide me. Um, yeah, it's just, it's absolutely a practice. It's such, it's such a practice. And I, and I also believe as we like, like try to like tease apart what is intuition, what is heart, what is mind. Um, I do believe that like I have had like intuitive hits that did not end up playing out that way exactly, but they led me to something very important. I have like an example is I had a friend call me on the phone and be like, hey, do you want to work together for this thing? And I was just like, absolutely. Just, just like, absolutely, yes. I just like feel like 100% yes in my body. And that was a wonderful experience, but it, it wasn't my career shift. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. But it led me to connections and activating other things in my life and, and relationships with people that have continued to feed my path. Um, so giving like grace and not being attached to the attachment as well. And to speak about the body piece, I mean, I just really listen to what gives me energy and the difference between um, anxious energy and excited like activated full of life energy which is a subtle it's a subtle difference but um or just feeling a sense of peace like for some people intuition leaning into those those daydreams or those thoughts or feeling their intuition can allow them to feel like sleepy because they feel so calm and so safe um but i just really love getting better at listening to my body and what do I feel excited about and what yeah yeah we 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 know we know when we're tired and we know when we're energized we know when we're happy and we know when we're sad we know when we are are anxious and when we feel calm and confident and trusting we like we know those differences um and just noticing the patterns noticing what's associated with those feelings. Yeah. Yeah. I I think I also like to to tell people to when it comes to listening to your intuition, your intuition sometimes is smarter than you and will mm-hmm. lead you down a path that you are like, well, damn it, that wasn't what I wanted. Um, on purpose, like also a few years ago, 2020, I decided to open up a practice with um, a a colleague of mine, a private practice. And I didn't really like I knew in my bones, like I need to start a business. I need to break out of the way, you know, this job has sort of shaped me and I need this, like this feels right. And it felt right until it didn't feel right. But if Mm -hmm. I didn't 
do that, if I didn't mm-hmm. break out and see a reality of, I don't have to show up to a hospital, a clinic, a whatever, and do nine to five and my life can look a different way and I can get my toes wet in that reality. That was when I was able to take the leap of, okay, I'm just going to offer my psychic readings professionally. Mm-hmm. I should just do that. And um, and that was a big one. There's been a lot of little ones mm-hmm. along the way where it's like, I think I should do this. And it's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> it's like, you should try it out, certainly. And then it's mm-hmm. like, it goes mm-hmm. in a different direction. Um, but um, to add about kind of the thing about the body and it, it one thing that is clear to me or one of the things that I'm really it's becoming more clear to me I should say is how important this idea of nervous system regulation of safety in the body of all all of those things and how tightly linked they are to being able to listen and follow your intuition. And I don't think it's a prerequisite. I don't think like you have, because for me, I was disassociated for so many number of years and then I would give a reading and like these things would happen and like, who knows? So I'm not saying that that's like a have to, but one of the things that I think amplifies your own intuition is when you are, finding that 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 sense of groundedness and safety and deepening into that um because as how like when you were saying how you for many years were really anxious how do you distinguish between uh an intrusive thought versus a download of some kind you know mm-hmm. and if your if your mind or your and your nervous system, your aura is filled and clouded with dissonance of different energies of anxiety of other people's whatever in your space, it becomes really difficult to hear you. Mm-hmm. That wasn't really a question, but do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think I think that there was a question in there and I'm trying to remember and pull it out um yeah I mean I just thinking about like everybody is born in different circumstances people are born with um innately different access to their intuition and spiritual resources than others and people are just born into different resources their family structure their class there's a lot of different aspects of that really impact us and impact our development and our identity. Um, and there's adversities being born into adversities or exposed to adversities when we're still developing um, and later in life. Um, they have impact. They have impact to our connection to our resources. And um, yeah, so all of that plays. And I don't think anything is better or worse. There's definitely pleasurable experiences and non-pleasurable experiences. And we all get what we get. And something we all have access to is practicing being in tune with our bodies. 
in listening. I don't care where anybody else is at. Like I can practice listening to my body. What do I want to eat? What don't I want to eat? When am I tired? When am I not tired? When am I energized? When do I want to do this? When do I want to do that? So just leaning into like our first access of resources is the sensations of our body. And for people that have been through trauma and disassociate, that can be overwhelming and challenging and needs to be paced and chunked down differently. But again, their body and their intuition will tell them that. And I mean, there's stories of people that are living in traumatizing situations that have really strong intuitive downloads. And maybe because of their circumstances, they don't feel empowered, they don't feel the resources to enact or further explore the information that they've been given. But years later in their adulthood, when they've developed a stable environment for themselves, can look back at that as a really significant moment and that it was a signpost that helped guide them. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I feel like, and I feel like this kind of highlights some of how our paths have been different in our lives and our friendship. And we've been able to kind of like share notes um, that I feel like you had a lot more access to intuition in a lot of ways. And I did a lot more um, intuition activating practices and decisions in my life by choice. And where we are, where we are, and we both have a relationship with it um, by choice. But um, yeah, I'm starting to lose what I thought the question was. But just, I really want to like honor where everybody's at. And like nothing is better and nothing is worse. And we all have access to intuition. We all do. We all have access to feeling sensations and emotions in our body and listening to them as cues of guidance. And um, I do believe that our intuition utilizes our body a lot. It utilizes all of our senses a lot. Yeah, I agree. And I I had said this, but I, I do feel like there is this link of people who've experienced trauma and them having extrasensory abilities. I I don't know if it's scientifically linked, but like what from what I've heard anecdotally is that that's a really common link. And I can see how that's manifested in my life as having it be a survival strategy for me to be able to read people, not for what they're saying, not from how they're presenting, not because anything could happen. And so being able to read them in a subtle psychic level was my ability to be able to put out fires and to be able to keep myself safe. So I think that Mm -hmm. there is like that little bit of link there. Um, Mm -hmm. And I also think that the like bonus treasure chest comes when you know when to turn that on and how to use it in a right way and also how to keep connect with you connect with you in a, that embodied and safe way in in the connection of what do i need as well as being able to um, access it in more of a survival way yeah absolutely 
All righty. So I think I want to ask you a final question, and I'm trying to ponder what I want that question to be. Mm. I feel like I want it to be lighter. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, let's see here. Okay, this is repeating in my head, and it's in what what in what way have you seen magic most recently in your life how <laughs> how have you witnessed magic recently i love magic um i'm so grateful for all the ways it shows up and i think magic can be scientific and it also can be not scientific um yeah i mean i think Honestly, what's coming to mind is a friend of mine had um, was a daydreaming about ways in which she wanted to not change her life entirely, but things that she missed, things, experiences and parts of herself and roles that she's had that she really missed being a part of her life and was having visions about this, um, just, just daydreaming. Um, and spontaneously, on Instagram came across an organization that was in her town that was doing that exact type of work, exact type of work that she was craving. And she reached out to them just out of the blue being like, hey, I see your organization, I see your work. I've had done similar work in the past and I'm just passionate about it and I would love to visit and be involved in any way at all. Just wanna be connected, I'm nearby. And a woman responded to her saying, oh, you must have seen our post that we're like specifically looking for like very, very, very part time work that pays pretty well to do this specific type of work that we literally posted yesterday. Um, so, yeah, she reached out and connected with them and the rest of the story is yet to be told. But um, those little moments of of a daydreaming and just like measurable um, being met by the world around us is just, is just so phenomenal. It, it continues to blow my mind as much as I've spent time really putting effort into listening to my intuition and making conscious decisions in my life. It still blows my mind when I or someone I'm close to has just a daydream, a pure like escapist, daydream just to feel better for a little while and some dull moments and that there's some real potency about what the soul is craving there and materialized opportunities in our world pop up for that to happen um continues to blow my mind and it feels magical and it it activates hope in my body and my system and makes me excited to be alive and yeah yeah there's a, there's a Magic abounds. It is it is all around in subtle moments, and um, it's a cue when we're able to see it more or less. It's just it's a, it's a guidepost when we're seeing it more or less, but it's all around. Mm -hmm. It really mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. yeah. I love that story. I love that for your friend. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, Caitlin. Um, is there anything else that you would like to add to the conversation? 
and or tell us more about what you offer. Hmm. Well, yeah, just firstly, so grateful to be here and have this conversation with you and fun to just share things that we process um, in our own space more publicly. And I hope to come back on again in the future. Um, yeah, you will. And <laughs> excellent. Sweet. Um, and yeah, I think just sharing what I offer right now, like I am an intuitive life coach. I love doing that work. Um, I love just supporting people, accessing their intuition. And um, I really believe that as individuals, we have so much knowledge within our bodies, within ourselves. And I am just so interested in providing a safe space for people to access that and offer guiding questions for people to access their own wisdom and exploring how it can be embodied in their life. I just, I love it. Um, and I also do trauma work. Trauma incident reduction is a very specific trauma technique. It can be for um, overt traumas, um, such as accidents or assaults. Um, and it can also be more subtle traumas, um, such as bullying or things along those lines that may seem less overt, but built up over time. And it's really potent. It's a, it's a storytelling technique that is really potent that I love to offer. Um, yeah, and I'm continuing to study somatics and trauma work and um, the overlap of that with social justice efforts and our relationship to the earth. Um, so that's what I'm offering right now. And I'm continuing to enjoy learning and will enjoy offering more in the future. Yeah, I want to just for anyone who's listening I have not worked with Caitlin formally but she has in a lot of ways done this work for me indirectly and she is absolutely amazing and I've 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 literally like talked to people in my life and have said like you need to work with her she is wonderful and so for anyone who's getting a little ping in their ear who's thinking oh I really feel like I connect with her you should reach out because from my understanding like yes you want to be compensated for your work but you will not turn anyone away is that right is that kind of what I'm getting Absolutely. Yeah. And if for any reason, I don't feel like I have the skills that are needed or desired, I would be so happy to connect um, them with someone else who, who has more to offer. But yeah, and I'm absolutely interested to connect with people free on a call just to make sure that we're both aligned and to feel each other out. And, um, and there might be some potency within that conversation as well for free. So feel free to be in touch if you're interested. Awesome. So I'll have all of the information and the show notes about how you can get in touch with Caitlin. Thank you so much, Caitlin. You're my best, mm, best friend. <laughs> and I love this conversation. And I think everyone else will too. I tried so hard 
so hard not to get silly. That is a massive part of our friendship. And we both have to try to put on our, you know, business hats on today. But <laughs> had a couple of retakes in the beginning. Yeah. Maybe we'll have a podcast episode where we're actually silly. Yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> Maybe. Add some of that in there. Yeah. I do, I do love silliness. So. All righty. Well, thank you so much. And Absolutely. for those of you listening, I will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.